Hello, and welcome to the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast, your place for top tips, helpful hints, and all things real estate in and around Detroit. Today's episode features Jay Taylor, along with one of his friends and fellow real estate investor, Akil Anderson. Akil is a television producer who turned the COVID disruption to his career into a new business of real estate. In partnership with his brother, he works to renovate and restore Detroit properties. In this episode, Jay and Akil talk all about how to bring big vision to real estate and the boldness it takes to turn an idea into reality. Akil has an eye for design and can see potential in the roughest of homes. This episode is a wonderful conversation about the modernization of business and steps you can take that might make your life recession-proof. So we invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and this podcast is actually made possible because of two very generous sponsors. Number one, I want to highlight the Alexandria Taylor Law Firm. This girl is incredible. She is an attorney here locally in Detroit, and she handles all of my real estate uh, attorney needs. She can do evictions, she can do probate court, she can do everything. She's even like done things as simple as draft me a new deed when I want to quit claim it from me to another client. So if you need any real estate law stuff, talk to the Taylor Law Firm. Second, made possible by Veterans Pride Home Inspections. These guys are my go-to for every single home inspection. I refer them to clients and they've never disappointed. I use them personally. They do a detailed report. They're very prompt, very responsive. He also used to be a general contractor. So we're talking this guy knows costs and can walk you straight through the entire process. So those two people are incredible. Uh, Taylor Law Firm and Veterans Pride Home Inspection. My recommendation is if you're looking for either of those, give them a call. Now, back to the podcast. For the record, this is season two, and uh, last season we didn't have any sponsors, and it was a lot easier to get started, so I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, my guest today, uh, I was supposed to have two, uh, but the good thing is I got the better half, or better looking half, so uh, welcome to the podcast, Akil. Thanks for having me. Um, your brother, Malik, uh, was supposed to join us, and you said he's a little busy. Mm-hmm. But we will do just fine. Um, I want to give you a few seconds or a minute or two to give a little bit of a background, a little bio. Uh, You sent it to me, and I was shocked to see that the bio came through IMDB, Mm -hmm. which, you know, for those of you who don't know the acronym, it uh, is where all the movie stars and producers and people who are part of film and video and documentaries and everything, where they put their uh, information. So if you want to get, you know, your Rotten Tomatoes... uh, (laughs) information you can get it straight from imdb so what on earth put you on that website and what brought you here to detroit in real estate well um i mean detroit would be the short answer yeah <laughs> uh i'm originally from detroit and um i went to uh specs howard school of broadcast arts after high school and fell in love with film television and radio as a and non-film person where's specs howard it was on slasher and Nine Mile, non-Detroiters. That is Southfield. Pretty much Detroit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I think it's I think it's closed down. I rolled by it the other day and it's closed down now. Oh bummer. But uh, yeah, I don't know where their new school is. But anyway, um, that's how I got into television and film, or at least introduced into it. Um, actually, I mean, I could take a little bit back, but I don't want to be. You know, I want to make it short. I did come to California before that. 
my uncle lived in California, so when I was in 11th grade, he came to California. And where in California? Um, that's where I'm, my family's from. Pasadena is where I was Yeah, at the Rose time. Bowl. Right around the corner from the Rose Bowl at, uh, yeah. on Altadena. Actually, in Altadena. You know where Altadena is? I don't. It's, like, it's, like, it's Pasadena, but it's like up in the hills. Like in the right hills. In, in the suburbs. Where I Altadena. think my grandma's ashes are actually planted in a tree in Altadena. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, there's definitely trees and nice, nice wildlife and stuff in Altadena. Um, yeah, so I went out there, and then I actually got turned on to film out there because I went to school for six months and got a scholarship to the San Francisco Arts Academy, but I didn't want to take graphic design. I mean, I didn't want to take art because literally I got it because I was good at pastel painting. Okay. And, and, and we didn't have to take art in Detroit. In California, it was a requirement. yeah. So long story short, I got the, uh, the um, scholarship, and then I didn't want to take art, so I looked into graphic design and film. That's how I first got my spark, came back to Detroit. And then eventually, um, after coming back to Detroit, I was a recording engineer. I worked with Eminem, Royce 5 Nine, those guys at Nation Studios at the Greenfield Plaza. And uh, then they closed it down. The owner closed it down, took it to his house. And, and so ap that was after film school. So then that was just like my apex, and I was like, I'm just going to go back to California. So I had about 150 bucks, got on the Greyhound, and That's incredible. went to California with my uncle. And so, uh, and, and cigarettes in a dream, right? Yeah, you know, but you know, the Detroit in me, you know, uh, literally, I think I got out there on July 2nd, maybe the 4th or the 3rd. The 4th was like that Saturday, and I had a job by Monday. So, mind, I got out there Friday, I had a job by Monday. That's my incredible. uncle was like, What are you doing? Just chill, relax in the pool because he had a pool, <laughs> Corona. I was like, nah, I'm, you know, so I was focused. You yeah, drive. Yeah, and so uh, that led me into getting different jobs and working in odd jobs, which ended up uh, leading to my first television job, which, which was on air with Ryan Seacrest and, uh, in 2003. And uh, so, you know, that actually led to all of the other jobs in television because I was so focused that all the three people that did hiring of production assistants, yeah, all loved me, and they all took me to different places. One took me to MTV. One I did uh, the benefit for the relief concert uh, for Hurricane Katrina in 2005. I mean, I did a lot with all three of them, and then I just started building my career out there. Did I see on the bio something about Ghost Hunters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was later in my career. I did Ghost Hunters in 2011. I find those episodes so funny. Through, through 2011 through 14, I did. It's a lot of creative screenplay there. You yeah, make yeah, people who yeah. aren't in a scary building feel like they're in a scary building. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff is just like with anything, you know, um, you have to have a foundation, right? And, you know, like even with the Ghost Hunters, like it seems kind of like it's entertainment, but the guys who produced the show, they're really serious about it. I believe it. You know, I mean, it's, taps, top, it's they, top they, level. They're really like we, because I was a producer in the show and we literally had to be like investigative journalists mm -hmm. to get a, a show approved because... If there wasn't, like a, for instance, if someone said, oh, I saw a lady dressed in white hovering my baby above the, the, <laughs> the carriage, you know, we're going to look at it like, okay, is she crazy? Or, but if we do our history and we find out 40 years ago there was a lady dressed in white that died in that room, in that side, yeah. then we might actually investigate. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of that stuff. And, you know, just like with anything, you know, I think that anything that has substance really has some kind of foundation behind it's it. It's rooted in something, right? Yeah. yeah. And so circling back, you know, when we were young here in Michigan, you know, a lot of the areas that we're looking to buy in and revitalize, we used to look at it like those areas were good houses and big houses and stuff because I come from, you know, a little 
deeper west. I mean, we were over off Grand River area and stuff for a while. I went to Cooley High School. Yeah. And um, but you know, my foundation of of, of always wanting to kind of add to that or have some of those houses and things of that nature kind of led me back here especially after COVID hit because around the time COVID hit I was I was the show producer on the show with D.L. Hughley on Comedy Central and um and it just shut us down I mean so sad completely shut us down like we started I think March 2nd by March 11th we were shut down Man. you know and Bicom's like yeah we're coming back the show's coming back in September and you know of course still hasn't come back yeah right yeah so that kind of forced me into working for myself it kind of forced me into figuring out how i would you know kind of structure what i've learned all these years and turn it into something where i would be able to fend for myself and not be relegated to you know um it's crazy too because i mean everyone has issues you know california michigan you know texas florida they all different right yeah and so I tend, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know how some businesses are recession-proof? Uh-huh. <laughs> Just like equity in homes is yeah. recession-proof. I always tell people, right? the good Lord's not making more land. Yeah, no, totally, <laughs> totally. So it's recession-proof. It's just a matter of knowing numbers and getting in when you can and figuring out. And so all of that said, I took that creative approach to producing television shows. I've produced shows with most of anything I worked on has been a million-dollar budget or more. But, but it's always a team. And so I took this real estate class. Um, last year when we started our business and uh, you know one of the key pillars that they had was build a power team I'm curious to know what uh, what school of real estate was it? well it was a tax lien class so it wasn't yeah. a real estate class it was a tax lien okay and you know if you have ever I don't know if you've ever taken a tax lien class or seminar but it's kind of a all-encompassing you know, informational. It's the economy of a deal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about the deal. It's all about ROI. It's all about understanding. Like, for instance, you know, it's all the way from the bottom, right? Tax liens, you know, um, uh, uh, obviously they have to be paid so that the roads and the schools and everything that we use can be upkept. And if people don't pay their taxes on their property, then that money doesn't come in. So then the investor people, the people who help keep the roads, if they pay it and they get a little bit of money return on it, right? So then you go all the way up the line to where you got people who can't, couldn't afford to have, keep their house or houses that, you know, are distressed. And then you got people who are coming in getting those, right? Or the wholesalers who are getting them as a tax lien and then selling them to the flipper, right? And then the flipper is flipping and selling to the person who's going to live there for 30 years or it's their dream house and then everybody makes money, right? So it's kind of like a... Um, Circle uh, it, of life. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. That tax lien class allowed me to kind of home in and see, okay, so what what are we trying to what are we trying to focus on, you know, and uh, how can we pull that off? So coming back from Hollywood, I, I brought my creative approach to producing television shows to producing these projects with, with my brother and, our, and utilizing our family to do so. I love it. And you said that he's got the business degree, so he's running your numbers or finance degree, and. You've got the creative side, so you're running kind of the big picture logistics of it. And yeah. the two of you are purchasing ugly ducklings and turning them into beautiful yeah. owner-occupied and, and, homes. And, and, and that's a good term. I wouldn't, well, you know, ugly ducklings, but uh, ugly ducklings with character. Well, so I saw the most recent home you guys purchased, and it was a stunning, gorgeous home in the Bagley neighborhood. And we're talking, talk about pride of ownership, neighborhoods in the city that have deep-rooted history of affluence and hard-working families and right now the families moving back into them uh, are carrying on that same legacy but for a, a gap there for 40 years 50 years 
uh, it was a neighborhood in decline. So it's really fun to watch you step in, grab a home that you know had some water damage, had some environmental hazards. I'm sure it. I didn't see any asbestos when I was there, but I saw some mold and yeah. saw some uh, rot and all the stuff. But there's really cool unfinished space over the garage. Really cool uh, flow between the basement and the first floor. Mm-hmm. Was there a cool little speakeasy bar down there? Uh, yeah, there is. There is in the basement a little speakeasy and bar. A toilet um, that hadn't been flushed in maybe a month or two. A bathroom down there that we we, we updated to a full bath. Excellent. Um, yeah, and it's just a character. Like even like you said, a little space over the garage. Like I look to to look at the property. And I also. I wouldn't say I learned it, but I definitely picked that up from that class, too, is that they were able to, they were trying to, to let us know that when you're good, you'll be able to kind of look at a property and see what you can do with it and, and implement that into your ROI, right? So if there's a property that someone might, because we were looking at tax liens, mind you, so that's why we were shifting, so you might shift through the garbage, if you will. Say, for instance, if there's a tax lien that didn't sell at auction. Why? Oh, so it looks crappy. Nobody wanted it. It's in the swamp. looks like it's just overgrown. But you know that it's right around the corner from a college, right? Or it's right down the street from the beach. Now, everybody's overlooked it, but you know what you can do with it because the ROI can be different if I'm going to Airbnb this property or if I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, rent it out to five or a couple of different college students and get five times what I would get as for a traditional rent. So, you know, I, I try to look at properties that has the character and with that aspect and an additional, uh, you know, somewhere we can add equity to it, right? Get money out the deal a little more. So, like, with that space, it had the, the little space over the garage. And I saw that, and I saw the garage was fully brick and attached. So, I'm thinking if that space is, is accessible from the house, then we can add square footage. Absolutely. Which is going to make us money on the back end, right? And, um, you know, and then it also... Turns it from a three-bedroom to a four, and then it's stuff like that, like the character, like you said, from the garage, you can come up the stairs from the, both the kitchen and the garage. And then what? another thing we did, too, is when you come up, because the house is it's not really big, but it's, uh, you know, around almost 1,500 square feet. We're going to make it 1,800 square feet with adding that, right? Yeah. You come up the stairs, it was tight, you know. We killed the whole wall. So now you can see from one window Not only can next. you see, but if you open the bedroom, the light comes in from the front window all the way through the house to the back. Yeah. So we're putting the banister there. I love it. So, you know, it's just... Exposed staircase. Exactly. Yeah. So stuff, stuff like that that I look for, you know, creatively to see how we how not only can we, you know, rehab something, but also, you know, keep the character that it has, but increase the value at the same time. Yeah. Well, and, and that house in particular uh, is a classic example of I took one person through it, and they said, this is a terrible deal. And I took a different person through it, and they said, this is the best deal I've ever seen. And they're looking at the exact same deal. And so my mantra has always been, there's no such thing as like a bad purchase. You can purchase it at maybe the wrong price, or you can purchase it with maybe the wrong vision, but every, every patch of land has a value, and every property has a value proposition and so the right person can walk in and do the right work with it and especially in this market right now where people are willing to attach real dollars to something that has all the work done for them like people do not want to tackle home projects right now and so you go in there you take care of it you make it beautiful are you thinking about reselling it are you guys going to keep as an airbnb portfolio uh initially we're definitely going to keep it for the airbnb portfolio 
Uh, but you know, uh, we're we're we, we're under a contract with two other homes right now in that same area. Uh, one a little bit further over uh, across Livinois on Birchcrest, uh, and then we have another one on Santa Barbara, yeah. a little, which is in the same Bagley area. I think the other one is in the University District. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's where I live. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're looking at a five bedroom. Well, we have a contract for a five bedroom, five bath over there. Um, but you know. Uh, those properties, you know, uh, the one in Santa Barbara is one really that I, you know, like, want to keep for our Airbnb, Airbnb portfolio. Um, and the reason I mention those three properties is because, you know, I'm creative, so I'm kind of flexible, right? So it's like once we get a few more, then it's like we'll sell whatever makes sense, yeah. if, if it makes sense. If it makes sense to sell one and we're going to make 100K on it and, you know, before the end of the year, we got two other ones to retain for, you know, for Airbnbs, then we would make that move. Well, and I'm sure but, you work with a good tax person where you know that if you're going to carry something for more than 12 months, you have to claim it on your uh, taxes as one thing. And if you do it uh, in less than 12 months, you can claim it on your taxes as different. And then, you know, your long-term capital gains versus your short-term. And so all the different ways that you analyze a deal have to be factored into, exactly. all right, exactly. what's my current ROI monthly? What would be my income if I sold it now? What would be my tax capture if I sold it now versus kept it? And exactly. All exactly. of it's part of this, like, complicated algorithm. Of, yeah. And I have, a, like, a, a 12 or 14 properties at a time, and I'm always selling the ones that are the most headache and keeping the ones that are the most income. Yeah. And then whenever I sell it, it's always like, what's the right timeline to capture the least amount of taxes and the most amount of exactly. profit? And see, and, and that's the point I think we're, def we're growing to, um, you know, right now, excuse me, right now we're, you know, looking to grow our business and, yeah. and retain some, uh, you know, some, some properties in our portfolio. So in, in case I give an example, this is a real example, which is Birchcrest, which we're looking to close, close on by the end of the month. Um, five bedroom, five bath, you know, almost 3,000 square feet. Uh, we may be able to do some things to add some square foot. I know there's 300 square feet foot to be added in the maid's quarters upstairs because there's about 300 square foot of uninsulated uh, area right adjacent to the maid's quarters that's about the same size as the maid's quarters. Yeah. And the maid's quarters is like a little apartment upstairs. Yeah, right? probably but one bed, room. one bath, yeah, exactly. little living area. Exactly. So, um, you know, just increase the square footage a little bit. Um, but that one, in my mind, would be one to sell because it's a five bed, five bath. It's in an area where you people don't sell a lot, so people would be eager to buy there, especially if it's done upright. And uh, you know, five bed, five bed—that's a house that someone buys for long-term family, yep. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's not necessarily entertainment house uh, per se, especially given that we're we have a contract for the one to close on July 30th, which is Santa Barbara. Now, Santa Barbara has a pool, which I call it Scarface Pool. That's what I, you know, you have the. Uh, the name of the project at Home Depot. Yeah. And my, the name for that project is Scarface. I love it. But it's a, it has a pool inside the house, right? This huge pool. And it's like, and it was part of the build on, but the pool, it's like not a pool. It's a pool, but it's like not a pool. So it, it's literally in the ground, but it, like they didn't have water in it. Like it was a pool, and then they made it into like a this house. Area. It's yeah, like a grotto. It's yeah, the right word. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to make it into a pool. So Love we're going to turn it into a pool. So I'll tell you, like I like places like that where it has a little character. I'll take some it's of the rehab budget. Make you feel more like California, L.A. Yeah, scene. yeah, exactly. Pool in exactly. your living room. Exactly. <laughs> and that one has like all kind of grand pianos in it and nice little entertainment area and a pool table and stuff like that. So I look at places like that with character and then give an example too. And it's not just a character because obviously we're talking about deals, right? 
Like okay. that one, I think, is in probate or had three owners. Somebody died. We caught it at the right time, right when they died. They, don't, they, didn't, they weren't really tripping about the price going back and forth because they were already in probate. They just want to get it sold and get it done. And so, you know, we're getting that one for a nice, I think, a nice, it's a nice deal because, you know, it's, it's, that one's 3,400 square feet. Huge. Yeah. Especially for the bag that's double the normal size over there. Yeah. And it's at like 200K, you know? Yeah. That's what we're, we're, we, we have a deal for it at. So, you know, it has at least 100, maybe 150 equity. Easily. So it gives us the flexibility to fix the property up, retain it, refinance it, at least get a little bit of our money back, if not all of our money we initially invested, and still hold the property as a you know, residual income. Yeah, property. if you can walk in, do your thing, and walk out, have all the money you started with and retain the property, that's a, deal. That's a really good deal. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, you know, I won't call it a digression. I think people who listen to this podcast want to hear into your brain. Like they want to hear what are your metrics for a deal? What causes you to pull the trigger? Because I'll tell you, in my line of work, uh, I buy and sell personally probably five to 10 properties a year. My team will chuckle that they'll show me a property. I'll say, yeah, let's write an offer on it. I won't have toured it at all. They're like, do you want to tour it? I don't need to. I know the numbers of that neighborhood. I don't care how bad it is. If that's the price they're going to sell it for, I will buy it. And I have yet to lose money in this. Like, once you have the internal framework of what a deal looks like, I don't need to hem and haw and oscillate back and forth on whether or not I should pull the trigger. And then I walk out there with new investors, and they are just overanalyzing, and they're overthinking, and they just have a a decision paralysis that sets in. And I think part of it is their metrics might be wrong. You know, they don't see a moving target. They see a static figure and they're like, well, the numbers don't work. I'm like, well, your numbers don't work, mine do. And so they, you know, other times it's pessimism that gets in their way. But I guess one thing that really impresses me with you and your brother and why you were such an easy invite for me to bring you onto this podcast is that you guys seemed with no prior experience in real estate. I mean, you both came here from LA, or at least you did. Where was your brother? Here, he lived, yeah. he lived here all the time. Um, and th- this was your first flip, right? Mm-hmm. And it did not take you long to pull the trigger, and you did so with a certain level of confidence and chutzpah that really impressed me. So, all that background to say, help the listeners and me like understand what are your metrics for a deal? And you could, you know, you could speak specifically about the one that you are already in, in ownership of, or you could talk more hypothetically about what was the like overlying factor for all three that you're under contract for. But it's like, let's talk about what gives you the green light to pull the trigger. What are those numbers? What are those metrics? What are your uh, calculations? Uh, I just watched one of my coworkers, Chris. He's on my team. He's done probably 100 transactions already. This guy is prolific and great. And he is now buying for himself, which is really cool. I love every one of my team members. I say, I'll help you be a realtor, but only as long as it takes you to earn your first million. After that, it's on you. Like For him, he now knows that with his own money, he can make even more money than helping people buy and sell. And so he is under contract right now to buy a home just around the corner from your Birchcrest one on Oak. And he pulled the trigger in like 12 hours because he put it into his system and it worked. So mm-hmm. tell me your system. Yeah, um, I, t- I spoke a little bit about it earlier. You know, uh, 
I, I look at it, everything like with a creative approach. I mean, you know, the re return on investment is not necessarily a traditional one nowadays. And, and, and particularly my model is to take the new age approach and mix it with the old world. It's, it's kind of a sense where the old world is kind of dying in a sense. Getting a property and renting it out for a regular rent is kind of like a loss in 35 years, right? So if you're looking at retaining these properties for your portfolio, you know, you want to figure out a way to make it grow more than what the traditional market says. And so that's why I mentioned the Airbnb. That's, that's particularly our angle because we ran Airbnbs. It's not our first Airbnb. We have one in Southfield. I started, I had an Airbnb in Hollywood, uh, used a, a place that I had in Hollywood and it was really successful. Um, I'm into that kind of thing. I do things on Turo and stuff like that, you know. I'm into assets versus liabilities. What's your favorite Turo rental? Uh, my favorite Turo rental? Uh, I would say um, Maserati because I have one and I rent it on Turo and it does really well. Yeah. Yeah, it does really well. But, you know, that's another thing, too. Like, you can't just put it into a, 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 you know, a black and white box because, like, I have a friend who has three cars on Turo in Miami, but I told him, because I, I, I try to approach things with uh, with a, uh, I don't know who is this calling, I'm so sorry. I try to I try to approach things with the ideal, idealistic view, like what's gonna work, right? So it's like, if, if I have a Tesla, you know, then it's probably not gonna do that well in Miami. Because when people go to Miami, they want drop tops and fancy cars and, you know, and, you know, they want M M8s and M6s and, you know, things like that. Those cars do well. But in San Francisco, a Tesla does incredibly well because you've got a lot of people with money in the tech space and they think that it's cool to drive. The nerds. Uh, yes. <laughs> right? I drive a Tesla. <laughs> so you see where you have to kind of appreciate people. I mean, I think that that's what I've also learned from Hollywood because I've done so many shows. I mean, from MTV to to this place, to that place, I've done so so much and worked with so many people. And then coming from Detroit and going to Cooley High School, and, and even a good friend of mine who's um, a co-producer on a, uh, my feature film that hopefully I'll end up doing, which is called Cooley Boys. I saw it, Cooley Boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Willie Green, who was okay. the coach for the um, for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. He's the head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. He, He's a, uh, not only a friend of mine, but he also is a Cooley boy. He went to Cooley High School. Love it. We played basketball. He made it to the NBA and made it to be a head coach. So, you know, um, you know the, all of those interactions, like, you know, Kamora Lee Simmons is a really good friend of mine. I'm producing the show with her as we speak. We start in July. All, all of these people and seeing so much out there, it, it allowed me to kind of be able to kind of bring it back and say, hey, Let's approach it like this, because this this will work if we think in this aspect. So in my mind, it's Airbnb. So I'm looking at places that I know, I know Detroit, right? So I know that people will come here and will stay. I've already done my research. Like give an example, that area that you live in, in the Bagley area, probably has the most Airbnbs outside of downtown. Downtown, And yeah. it goes straight down Woodward. So, you know, I'm, I'm also like a creative person, so I'm also, I'm not a would say a nerd, but I'm also an analytical person too. So I can kind of read, I, I can read the matrix, right? It's like zeros and ones and I tend to start reading it. And so when I see that, it's kind of like, okay, I see this is where, you know, the money is. I see this is where the trickle down is and let me get in and get a part of it. So I think that approaching the properties, I'm not approaching them from a traditional real estate perspective. I'm approaching it from, hey, I know we're doing these numbers on Airbnb right here. 
I know these numbers are happening. I know that there's a um, continual flow of people coming from all different places that are not necessarily local stays. Yeah. So if we can cater to them, we can make three times on the low end what we would make traditionally, you know, renting this property out. So if I can establish one, two, three, four, ten of these, so then I can say I'm making 2000 a month or 3000 a month clear after all the expenses are paid on a, on a property like that, then that's 30000 a month in a year or two. Yep. So I look at linear, you know, it's a business that we started. So it's not like we're just like, oh, we're going to go buy a property and get into real estate. It's a business. We have a, you know, an in, and each one of the properties has to, we have to have an out for, right? So like you were saying, but with me, I'm creative, so that out can adjust, right? A property we, like I even told my brother, look, we get the five-bedroom property, we put it on Airbnb, you know, we, maybe it's, you know, people who want to stay there for a long term, we put it on Verbo for people who want to stay long term. We see what the numbers do. We post it on MLS at the same time. You know, if we get a hit, we, we sell it. Yeah, if someone's going to pay you 550 <laughs> for it, you're like, we're going to sell it. Let's take that money and yeah. run. Yeah, you know, but if it's doing 6 k a month for us, and someone wants to lowball us, but it's pulling in six k a month for us, and say, let's keep this. Well, it gives you the resolve you need to say no to bad offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, one of the clients that we worked with last year was kind enough this year to send us an email when it was all done. So we helped him buy one, and he engages again this year, saying, "Hey, I'm not sure if you remember me. Of course, we remember you. He's like, we are ready to buy the next one." Before we do, I just wanted to give you a quick recap on how the last project went. And he's doing the Burr method, which is where you buy it, you renovate it, you refinance it, and then you rent it. Mm -hmm. And so that Burr method, and I say that more for the listeners than for you, uh, that Burr method allowed him to pull all of his equity back out. So he put in 130000 into it, and then his refinance gave him 126000 cash, because mm -hmm. they assumed the value was one seventy by then. So the, the, the equity back out fully or at least almost fully paid him back what he put into it he called that a huge win and then his cash on cash return uh is almost infinite because he's got no cash invested but he's still making 400 extra per month above his mortgage payment and he was like huge win i can see how i can improve it let's do it again mm -hmm. and like i think that's the message i want people to hear from you mm -hmm. and to hear from me is just like figure out what you're in it for like you said, you're in it for a little creative outlet, you're in it for a business, and you're in it for uh, long-term plays that make you twenty, thirty thousand 30000 a month. Yeah. I think everyone out there would say, man, if real estate was attainable for that, like I'd do it. And I know one of the things we talked about on the way into the podcast booth was how you finance it. And you're one of, I would say, the minority who are willing to jump into hard money. And how's, how's your experience been? Well, um, it's been it's been okay. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's difficult. I mean, we've been on a nice little road. I mean, we literally started to purchase the property December twenty eighth, and we obviously didn't close on this one until April fourth because a couple of deals fell through. Uh, we were dealing with a, um, a uh, private owner, or should I say, a uh, sell by owner. She didn't have representation, and she backed out the last minute. And I, I learned, like, because at first I was like, oh, this is great. I don't have to, you know, we don't have to pay any fees. <laughs> we don't have any middlemen. You know, we can get this deal done, you know. Didn't work out. Uh, no, because she closed at the, at the last, at the 11th hour. I mean, on Monday, we were supposed to close on Friday. Our lender, everything approved. Wow. On Monday, she stopped answering calls. And, 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 and you know, so then I learned, oh, that's the worst person to deal with. This is a, this is a uh, you know, a direct seller or whatnot. But, the, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, 
you know, our lender has been a little, you know, but they, they've worked out. But I look at it like I told you earlier, because we're looking at purchasing the property or purchasing the property as an Airbnb, I know what we're going to make when we post it. So then, you know, the little kinks from the lender, like even if it's if it's points, if it's interest, if it's a little more, right? Because, you know, it's going to be a little more, obviously, than a traditional conventional loan or an investment property conventional loan. So it's a little more, but because we're looking to make much more on the back end, it balances out. Like, give an example, we learned going through this process that we, most of the refinance companies want us to have it for six months. Yep. Most of them. Some of them will deal with us having it for three months, but rare, very rarely any of them want to deal with us after a month or two, like yeah. a, just, just getting the property. Um, but, you know, you learn that in the process. So then what I try to do, I won't even say then, initially what I try to do is, like, I go, <laughs> it's hard for me to explain, I go hard, right? I, I press the line. <laughs> yeah. I press the line. Like I have my brother, I say, look, let's get business credit. Oh, no, let's get business credit because, you know, I pressed the line so hard on business credit that by the time we got into flipping the house and we had to move money from one place to put the money down, we end up having almost 100K in extra business credit That's awesome. that we can then use to rehab the home and then get reimbursed for that, right? Yeah. So, you know, it gives us flexibility, right? So for us to be able to, like you said, pull a trigger on something so that right now it might not seem like, okay, I'm going to get my return right now but you know give it a few months and you keep the plan I, I call it the fibonacci series yeah it's like if you do something and you do it twice then you do it three times and then you start and you add three and three and it's six and you add six and six and it's 12 and then 12 and 12 and 24 and then, it, then if you keep doing it enough you'll be with millions yeah but people don't have the drive and intent and the focus to really see that through and that's what i've done a lot with my creative process you got to see it through yeah if you don't see it through and we go spend millions of dollars on this tv show and there's still somebody here to see it through we will lose our money i guarantee you that so that focus that's why it can be a stressful and a hard job and even though it's fun but seeing it through making sure everybody shows up and does their job making sure everybody's on point making sure because a lot of people they just don't see the bigger vision they see today but they don't see the bigger vision. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's what the plan is. And it's about, I think, transitioning from traditional, what we can do traditionally in the old world into the new world, which is Airbnb and, and digital, you know, bringing people together through different means. And then not to mention uh, something I didn't talk about, which was the philanthropic aspect of this. Because I have my family working on houses and my father's been a contractor for like 40 years. You know, and so it's like we're providing jobs. Yeah. And revitalizing the community. Yeah. So that's, you know, that all fits in. And then I think once we get enough, then that's when I want to branch out and start going to other places because I've already been having my force and I own some land in Arkansas. Uh, you know, I own a house in California. And I even, when I, I mean, that's my personal house, but I, when I purchased it, I had the same creative vision before we got into the business, which was look, let's purchase the there. And it's a smaller house, it's like 1,500 square feet. But the neighborhood I purchased in, I purchased for three three thirty five in two thousand eighteen, and it's worth five fifty now. Just told them that, man. Yeah, like they didn't do anything. Yeah. So that decision alone, like purchase over there, because I knew that this was like the area to be in, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you know, you know about real estate, right? So yeah. you know, you got to get that foresight. Like Buy this the is the kind of area. This is, the, yeah. yeah, it was the area to be in. So it, the value just went up. Yeah. You know. 
I wrote a book during the pandemic, and it's a really basic title. It's How I Turned $1,000 into $1 million in Five Years. And it was 100%, like you said, Fibonacci, and I think that's unsustainable at some degree because, you know, you can do one flip at a time. You can do two flips at a time. You can do four flips at a time. You can maybe do eight flips at a time. But at some point, you can't handle 100 flips at a time. You don't have 100 crews. You don't have 100 whatever, 100 Home Depots. Like, it does run out. But long before it runs out, you've created a system that's making you money. Yeah. And my, you don't always have to do 100 flips at a time. You can do one flip at $100,000, mm-hmm. take the profit, do the second flip at $150,000, do the third flip at $250,000, do the third flip at $500,000. And you can one flip, but the profit margins get bigger and bigger. And the uh, value proposition gets larger and larger. And so it's, you know... My first year in real estate was just, you know, 2016. And by the year 2021, I had a million dollar portfolio. And it was just doing the exact thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's finding your niche. My last podcast guest uh, introduced me to the term niche, niche, weird. <laughs> and it's like, what's your niche? And then what's the niche within that? And that makes you weird, but weird is good. And so I think yeah. you are bringing that to the real estate world. You're bringing a creative eye. You're bringing LA thinking. Uh, some of my favorite investors in the city come from uh, people with out of Detroit mentality. So even though you are a coolie boy, you are also you know a bigger thinker than just a coolie boy. Yeah. And I love that. You bring LA into the mix. You yeah. bring, uh, you said Arkansas? Yeah, yeah, Arkansas. That's I got awesome. some land in uh, Cherokee Springs, Arkansas. And the reason why I went there, or looked to buy, uh, buy there is because, uh, well, I mean, I, I do all kind of weird shit, like you said, like I was on- Niche, niche weird. Governmentauction.com, I, mean, I look all kind of places. And there's, of fucking natural spring excuse my language there's natural spring water there that's awesome so I, you I own your own like natural, natural spring. spring water i need land there yeah you know in the middle of the country in I mean, the apocalypse i'm heading can, there with you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome you could totally you know you know it's natural resource i think that you know it's it, once we get off into a, a time you know it, like you said earlier there's only this, these things are finite, you know. So, so many houses. There's only so much land on this earth, and you know, currency right now is made of ink and, and wood, but there's natural currencies that will never die. Yeah. And when you can, like I said, read the matrix and you can see through that, then I think that that's that's what leads me at the very least. You know what I, I mean? That. Yeah. Instead of being led by some external ideological philosophical thing it's more about what makes sense right and what we're moving towards and then also how that helps but you know i tend not to try to uh, um, move toward you know negative unproductive uh you know um you know things that don't you know add to 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 the bigger picture i try to do things that always add to the bigger picture and i think that like you said give an example which is a middle between what you said like the Fibonacci series can't always work right because it gets to a finite point and uh, I'll give you an example like in Hollywood they have what you might call <laughs> the glass ceiling and some people get to that point especially if you don't come from a family that you know kind of started it started it yeah you know uh, <laughs> so your name's not Lucas <laughs> yeah, there becomes a glass ceiling so but you can look at it as a glass ceiling, but then if you step back and step out of the box, it's almost like dimensions. 
Well, that's what I say. Yeah, you can't do 100 flips, but you can do one flip worth a million dollars. Yes. Or you can do uh, a, a nice amount of flips, but like I was saying, if they're all Airbnbs now, you've quadrupled what yeah. you would have been bringing as residual income. So now that, let's say, 30000 a month could be put into more expansion, more flips, more properties, more business properties, acquiring different assets, right? So then, like you said, once the acquisition starts to happen, the portfolio grows. Yeah. Then the, you know, then the all, you know, there's all kinds of ways to double it or, like you said, com compile your 100 properties because it's just too much. Like, give an example with the Turo thing, right? They say that 20 cars is like the max for one person. Yeah, we're going to store all those cars. Yeah, because after that, you start forgetting where cars are. Yeah, that's me in the yard signs. <laughs> like, I, had, I had 10 yard signs and I couldn't keep track. Of yeah, right? I'm not sure what you so did 20. Th so there is a max there. Totally, there is a max there. You know what I mean? But the key is, you know, like you said, creating uh, assets instead of liabilities first off and then having an exit strategy. Yeah. So if you get to 100 properties, I'm selling all of these and buying the hotel that's on the right. island. That's right. Right? I'm going to buy the island. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to buy the island. And then now you can start with one island and do the Fibonacci series again. That's so it. it never stops. Never Energy stop. never dies. It only transits. Just step out of that box and into a new one. Yeah. I love it. Well, I uh, think we need to have a follow-up conversation. I like to keep these things, you know, under an hour. So yes, I'm going to probably cut us off. Yeah. I could talk about this with you probably the entire <laughs> afternoon. Next time we'll have some bourbon and we'll just make it even longer. But yeah. uh, I want to say thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks and for having me. Uh, yes. next time bring your brother. I'm sure everyone would yeah. like to meet him. Yeah, yeah. He's got an inverted kind of personality. But, you know, um, I'll bring him. I'll, I'll try to get him out here next it's time. It's the quiet people that say the most wise things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, <laughs> when they do talk, it's so impactful. It's like yeah. we're sitting here motor mouse and they just say one thing. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> well, thanks again. And uh, we'll, until next time. Yeah, until next time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Detroit Real Estate Experts podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to tell your friends and subscribe to never miss an episode. If you're interested in more of what we do, you can find us on Instagram at JTA Realtors. That is J-T-A-R-E-A-L-T-O-R-S. On Facebook as J Taylor and Associates or call 313-410-1149 to chat with an agent. Thanks for listening and have a great day.